Good evening and welcome to the Sports Squadcast, talking sports on Long Island with homegrown talent. I'm Justin Serlo and joining me once again, live from Boston, Massachusetts, is Matt Gochan. How are you doing, Gochan? Well, you know, Long Island, homegrown talent, Yankees fan for all my life. It's I'm doing much better with the Red Sox being down 0-2 to <laughs> Cleveland while I get to bask in the glory in here. Yeah, that, uh, that town's going to be a, a bit on the edge, I think, um, come Sunday night. Uh, we're recording oh. this on Friday night, which means there's a day off in between. Uh, they'll play game three on Sunday, uh, probably Sunday evening, I, I guess. I haven't looked at the schedule. But, right. um, yeah, so shortly after... The town goes um, uh, into full celebration mode that Tom Brady is back. They might um, fall back down to earth a little bit if the Red Sox manage to not win on uh, on Sunday night and get swept in the opening round of the playoffs, which would be remarkable for everyone in New York. Very much so. Um. It's a little bit of a different show tonight. Matt can actually see me now for the first time uh, since we've done these things. I finally... Beautiful sight. Beautiful sight. <laughs> I don't know about beautiful. It's a sight. Um, but finally got the webcam up. So hopefully it's a, a pretty good show now. And um, let's get into it. Matt, uh, first off, most importantly too, are you drinking anything tonight? Actually, tonight I'm not. I, I, I have to drive a little after this, so I have abstained responsibly so. That's a very smart decision. I, uh, as you probably could have guessed, have nowhere to be at all. So I am currently having uh, a nice vamplifier from Magic Hat, which is quite delicious. Very nice. So let's get into it. And um, as we said, there there is a lot to get to. Tonight, we're going to try and fit everything in here and um, in all due time. But we're going to start off with the New York Mets, who had their season come to a calamitous end on Wednesday night in the wild card game against the San Francisco Giants as they ran into Madison Bumgarner, who lives up to his reputation as the premier big game pitcher in baseball um, of recent memory. Complete game shutout for Madison Bumgarner. Mets only get four hits. They had a couple of opportunities throughout the night where maybe they could scratch and claw their way to a run. But unfortunately for the Mets, they could not score at all. And in the top of the ninth inning, deadlocked at zero, Connor Gillespie, if you don't know the name, <laughs> no one's going to blame you. We don't blame you. <laughs> Connor Gillespie hits a three-run home run off of Jerez Familia, and uh, that ends up pretty much being the game. So the Giants advance. They get the, the, I guess, the reward of playing the Cubs in the division series, which will start off. Uh, just about a half hour from now in Chicago. 
But uh, the Giants advance. The Mets have their season ended. Um, but you know what? Considering all the injuries, considering all the uh, issues with Matt Harvey, Jacob DeGrom, uh, David Wright, practically half their team, it seemed like, was injured um, over the course of this very long season. But they got to that one-game playoff, and they put up a hell of a fight in that game. I don't think there is uh, there's really anything you can be upset about as a Mets fan. Um, what were your thoughts that game? Just, um, you know, going through all so, the, uh, the emotion and the suspense of that tight game. So... You know, hearing hearing about the game before it even happened, you knew it was going to be Bumgarner versus Syndergaard. And that right there was just a headline in itself. Like you, you knew how unbelievable Madison Bumgarner is in the postseason. You have, we've all been witness to the coming out party for Noah Syndergaard. He, he had, I think, if I recall correctly, he's had, like, two bad games this year. So going into it, you know, it, you, you knew it was going to be a pitching duel, and it, it lived up to the hype. You know, both guys went at it for at least six innings, right? Like, I mean, the Giants didn't record a hit until the middle of the sixth inning. And that that is good baseball. That is... As good, hard-fought baseball. It, it is unfortunate that for the for the Mets, at least, that um, you know, Familia, unfortunately, got himself into trouble and then couldn't get out of it. Three-on game, but you know, a lot of Mets fans out there are blaming Familia for this, and I. I as a Giants fan, a New York Giants fan, I'm very used to having to defend people on a New York team. I, I do want to defend Familia in this sense. Familia had 52 saves for the season. He was one of your most consistent players for the entire season. And he has – you would not be in the wild card if it had not been for Familia. That's the first thing. That's true. The second thing is you really – you cannot blame your closer – for you, you, your closer cannot win the game for you in the situation Familia was put in. You can't put him 0-0 into the ninth, well aware it was more than likely going to extras, and 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 expect a miracle from that. Like is Familia at fault? Absolutely, but there's no way you can point at him and say you're the reason we lost the game. It's right. like yeah, it's he had nine innings to put runs on the board. That 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 is not on him. Especially when when your offense gets shut out and puts up only four hits on the night. Oh, um, I mean, you, you, you look at these numbers from, like, who, who got a hit? Kelly, Rivera, Cabrera, and another Rivera. Jose Reyes, nothing. Granderson, nothing. Cespedes, nothing. Nothing. And Jay Bruce, they're, all, they're in season acquisition, nothing. I, I mean, if... W- Syndergaard, this has happened to Noah Syndergaard this season far too many times, where he has 
stifled a team, absolutely stifled a team. And his team just cannot give him any run support. And that is just painfully unfortunate. Syndergaard's numbers would be almost undisputed Cy Young numbers had he had run support in, mm-hmm. in throughout the season. There, there were a couple of big moments in this game for the Mets' chances where they could take uh, the lead, score first, and um, you know really put some pressure on the Giants to score some runs. Fifth inning, uh, T.J. Rivera leads off with a double. Um, and then the guy that the Mets traded for at the trade deadline for these situations, Jay Bruce, strikes out swinging, doesn't even move the runner over to third base, which um, would have been a great um, great at-bat had he just gotten the runner over. Instead, he strikes out, and Rivera ends up getting stranded uh, at third to end, or, sorry, stranded at second even, to uh, end the inning. Um, eighth inning as well, they get a layoff, um, sorry, not a layoff single, they get a one-out single by Ty Kelly, and then you have Jose Reyes and Azdrubal Cabrera coming up. Reyes, you know, a guy who's, you know, uh, I don't want to say he's used to the postseason because it's been so long since he's played in the postseason, but um, you know he, he's he's known uh, big game situations before. He grounds out, and then as Jubal Cabrera, I'll give him credit. He hit the ball hard, but unfortunately, right at Madison Bumgarner instead of it being yeah, up the middle for that. a hit, it uh, it's an out, and um, that uh, that was in the eighth inning. Too. So if the Mets score there, that's, uh, you know, you're looking at familiar on, not just, you know, to try and preserve the game, but to close it out. Um, as I was listening to this game, when it went to the ninth inning, I instantly thought back to when the Mets play the Cardinals in game seven of the NLCS in 06. And I remember saying to myself in that game, the Mets can get these final three outs in the top of the ninth inning. They're going to win this game. And of course, they give up the home run to Yadier Molina in that game, thanks to Aaron Heilman. And uh, (laughs) Aaron Heilman. And, um, And then, obviously, on Wednesday night, it's um, more or less the same situation with another player you really don't expect to hit a home run. Uh, it's Connor, uh, Connor Gillespie, um, who hits the eventual game-winning home run. Um, only real difference in this game, Carlos Beltran didn't strike out looking with the bases loaded on an Adam Wainwright curveball. But um, a lot of similarities. In that my being opinion. said, been on the team, it could have been a different. It might have been a different story. Yeah. Yeah. Beltran is very much on fire right now. Well, I'm not sure about that. The 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 Texas Rangers have not gotten off to a good start in their series against Toronto. So. Pretty bad so far for them. Yeah. 
Um, final thoughts on the Mets season because you know the Mets. Um, they really they fought hard. Like like you said, they have been riddled with injury that most clubs couldn't bounce back from. Like mm-hmm. we're we're talking about three of your starting pitchers, three starting pitchers that were in the World Series rotation last year. Right. That could could not play this year for various for various injuries. You know, Jacob Degrom, Matt Harvey, Stephen Matz, but all three are just incredible talents, and you lose them, and it really isn't something you were expecting, right? In the in the the off season before this, the big worry was the Mets bullpen and the Mets offense, and they tried to to fix those, but then their starting rotation really fell apart there. I, I, I give the Mets a lot of credit. They hung in there. It, it definitely seemed, though, from the beginning, at least at least to me, it seemed like in the beginning the Mets were at, at the very best going to be in the wild card. Because yeah. the Nationals just started off so hot mm-hmm. that they had like a consistent like 10-game lead in that division for the greater part of the season. So... All the all the best to the Mets. I unfortunately I, I think their window is closing because I, I think Syndergaard and Degrom and Harvey and I think those guys with their contracts pretty much end at roughly the same time, and we know that the Mets cannot afford to keep all of them. That that's very true. Um, I was telling people before. I think the best thing to do is deal two of them. I think you should deal two of the pitchers because you will get a very good amount of offense for that. I mean, look what the Yankees got for for uh, for Chapman and for Miller, right? Like, yeah. Look, look what we got from that. We got so many prospects. It led to Gary Sanchez coming up and Tyler Austin and Aaron Judge. I, I think the Mets the Mets could if they dealt Harvey and Degrom. I I, I think they should deal Harvey and Degrom. I think Matt is a very young talent who really has promise. Um, I think Harvey's at the tail is, is coming back down from the top of his career, but I still think he's a very respectable pitcher. Um, the Mets are in a very interesting spot. They're in an interesting spot. They either they win next year or they look to the future really for next year. You know, you, you got to do something. Yeah, their their first big decision is really to find out what do they want to do with Cespedes, who has an opt-out clause. Oh, that's um, right. Could become a free agent again. Could uh, could stay here. It's um, I think it, it might not be as dramatic as it was last season, unless he opts out, in which case, you know, the Mets either have to decide whether to dive back in and offer him. Um, probably he's hoping for a long-term contract or at least, you know, four or five years. And he's probably going to ask for a, a boatload of money, you know, somewhere around $25 million a season. And given the performance he put up when he was healthy, especially in the second half of the season in, oh, he was incredible. in August, he was on fire once he got back from the injury. 
you know, it's yeah. it's very difficult for the Mets to justify not signing him again. Right. Especially, you know, where where else are you going to get good hitting? It's everyone talks about really good pitching because you you need you obviously need an ace. Right. And and a good rotation. You need all that stuff. But the way starting pitchers get injured nowadays, you could and how much of a gro- of a regression that offenses right. around baseball have right. come back down to, you know. It's not like ten years ago where you had um a you know, twenty, twenty five players around, right. you know, 30, 35, 40 home runs. You know, it's it's a much it's much more difficult to find a superstar um offensive player than it was, you know, ten years ago. Right. So I think that's why you need to you need to value the, the guys like Cespedes and the guys like Bryce Harper and Mike Chat and that's why if you have any control of the situation you cannot allow them to go unless you either trade for them or right. it's uh, or you get some sort of uh, compensation pick out of free agency. So just to let Cespedes walk away uh, if he opts out would it, it would set the Mets back um, quite a lot. And if he does, unfortunately. Unfortunately, we can almost see this happening, right? Because the Mets have a history of being very cheap and frugal with their money. And hey, maybe rightfully so. Maybe they they saw down the line they were going to have to like pay these pitchers. But uh, baseball is like a very unique sport in that, unlike football and even basketball, it's not like you could, in theory, have one side of the ball, the defensive side, like in football with, with Seattle, for example, right? You, you had the defensive side of the ball could be as productive as the offense in getting points with turnovers and interceptions and whatnot. Yep. You know, pitchers cannot score runs for you. You know, like how many times, how many times has Noah Syndergaard just not had run support? He's, he's taken an, a zero-zero game to the seventh to the eighth, and they've lost because there's just no run support. Mm-hmm. It, it really, you know, the Mets are at the at one end of the spectrum, and it's showing everyone that new thing right now is pitching, but offense is is still a big deal. A report from the uh, from ESPN and Daily News earlier today said that Cespedes is leaning towards opting out of his contract uh, for next season, um, which, again, would put the Mets in a bind. And if they can't re-sign him and they need some offense, maybe that does make them go out during the winter and um, trade away either Harvey I, I mean, or DeGrom. Or, the, the good or news Mets. about this, at least, is that it looks like in this, this upcoming free agency class, there's, there's going to be a, a good amount of free agents that can hit. You know, you have Ian Desmond from the Rangers be a free agent. 
Beltron from the Rangers will be a free agent. Neil Walker is a free agent. Sign him back. You know, back mm-hmm. to Angel Pagan from the Giants. He'll be a free agent. Justin Turner will be a free agent. So Edwin, Ed, Edwin Encarnacion will be a free agent. Um, Stephen Drew is batting 266? <laughs> what? This can't be right. <laughs> 21 ribby? No. 30? No. I disagree with this entirely. Where did Stephen Drew play this season? The, 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 the Washington. Huh. Fascinating. So, you know, I think if the, um, if, if the Mets cannot sign anyone in free agency, I think they will have to trade one of their pickers. Let's you know you and I both know this. Trading Harvey or Degrom is going to fetch a very nice package. Yeah, a very nice package. And I'm looking at these free agents here. I think the Mets are going to get outbid for almost all these guys that they want to go after. I think so too. I I mean, like the Yankees are also in need of offense. Their offense got pretty stagnant until the young baby bombers came along. It, it was it was pretty bad. You know, there's going to be a lot of teams in the mix for these for, for for offensive players, not just the Mets. I I don't know where the Mets go. I think I honestly do think they will try to keep. Uh, they'll try to sign Cespedes again. Um, I think they'll try. I'm not sure that they're going to be. Successful though, great play by. Is that Jason Worth? I thought that was Jason Worth that just made an incredible leaping catch at the wall in the the Nationals game. Um, but yeah, I think I think they'll definitely at least offer Cespedes a uh, a contract. May not be as much as he wants for, it, but I think. I think they try and sign him for three or four years. Um, but Do you think Cespedes will take a little bit of a discount like Bartolo did? I don't think so because I, I know – I think he knows that if he goes to an American League team, he can um, DH some of the time. He right. can get those sort of half days off, and I think he knows – that um, he knows that teams are going to need that big bat this season. Um, the only way I see him signing back with the Mets, I think, is if you have a situation like last year where um, you know there's just a lot of question marks about um, how well he fits in with some teams. Um, He's obviously fitting great with the Mets. He fit in great with Oakland, but, you know, um, in Boston and Detroit, it it wasn't a perfect fit. And actually, the ironic thing is that with David Ortiz retiring, the Red Sox could really use a player like Yohan Cespedes on their team for next season. So who knows? Maybe even the Red Sox try it one more time. Um, 
because his bat does make that much of a difference, and he, he's not too terrible of a fielder either, especially with his right. cannon of an arm. But, the, you know, the, the Red Sox are full of outfield talent right now. So, Also true, too. But like I said, you need – they're going to need someone for the DH spot. Maybe you can right. give it to Hanley Ramirez, but he seems to have settled in nicely as a first baseman. Um, right, right, right. So maybe next year, you know, sometimes Cespedes is in the outfield. Sometimes he's the DH. Sometimes Ramirez is the DH. Sometimes he's the first baseman. Um, right, right, right. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what the Red Sox want to do with Cespedes too. Whether they um, think it's worth getting back into the 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 fray with him. Right. Just just finally on this game, let's look at the Giants. They obviously have a huge hill to climb um, up against the Cubs in the uh, NLDS, which starts up in a little while. Um, but boy, Madison Bumgarner. I don't think there's a there's been a better pitcher in big game situations that that I have seen in in my lifetime, um, as far as starting pitchers go. It's 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 really unbelievable, right? Like I'm I'm like looking at his stats for like postseason pitching from 2010, 2012, 2014, and 2016. It's a perfect record. It's a lot of zeros. He hasn't lost a game. I just I don't understand how that's possible. <laughs> right. It the, you know the thing is, yeah, a pitcher obviously can go on a good run in the regular season, win six, seven, eight, um, starts in a row, something like that. But you know, you'll play the the sometimes crap teams. You know, you you're not going to see. Um, you're not going to see, you know, the best teams every time you're out there. The right. playoffs, every time you go out to pitch, you're going up against a high level of opposition. And he has just absolutely, he's, he's killed it. He has literally killed any semblance of offense in games he started in. Um, in, in, Elimination games where either he can go home or he can uh, lock up the series. Right. This guy doesn't give up a run. Not a run. It's been close to 30 innings. He hasn't given up a run in these types of starts. And I really hope we get to see this series between the Cubs and the Giants go to a fifth game and by some tinkering of the rotation it's Bumgarner that gets to start game five and I, I if he ever shuts down the Cubs on and Wrigley Field in a game five situation in the Cubs best year to, to win the World Series and goodness knows how long it would be just it would be phenomenal to watch Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, 
Madison Bumgarner is an elite talent. There's 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 just no way around it at this point. I, I think I, I really came to terms with Madison Bumgarner being an elite talent. Um, like, you know, you, you look at 2010, he pitched in the NLDS, the NLCS, and the World Series. NLDS, NLCS, World Series, I'm going to tell. And you would, you would expect that from, like, your ace. But then I'm looking at 24, and I remember this in 2014, when in the World Series, he came in for the save. <laughs> he, like, pitched the night before or something, and I think he pitched... Uh, where is it? Uh, he pitched, I think it was four or five innings on two days rest. Yeah, and he pitched the ninth, and I think they were, they were in trouble, and they needed a pitcher. I mean, all that pressure, it was, that could have been the series, and this man just shut them down. Shut down Kansas City. It was incredible. It was, that was, that, that to me was a moment I'm never going to forget about Madison Bumgarner. He, he came in on two days rest to, I, I think, you know what, now I'm curious. How many starting pitchers can say in a World Series, in, in, in those seven-game series, that, yeah, I have a win in that series and a save? He had two wins and a save. Who, who can say that? I, he almost had, as a starting pitcher, he had he almost had three wins in that uh, in that series, in Game Seven, they decide to give him the save because I think the inning before he came in. Um, no, I'm sorry, the inning before he came in with the lead. You know, he didn't. He didn't get the win. He he got the save. He got the save. Yeah. I think two days two days before that he got the win. Yeah, he he pitched game five and I think tossed yeah. a complete game shutout. That twenty fourteen series was something else. Incredible. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure how Bruce Bochi is going to um to line up his starters. Although, let me. Check really quickly to see if they have the probable pitchers up and listed. Um, I would guess if you pitch him in game three, which they're going, they're planning on doing. Right now, he's listed as the probable pitcher for game three. Um, it's it's going to be Arietta versus. Yeah. Bumgarner. Yep. Which is a hell of a matchup. Absolutely. Um, if only the Red Sox uh, big name ace could have lived up to his uh Oh my god. His his pitching. Two hundred million dollars for David Price. And he's lost his last I think his I forget. I think it they said his last nine. Six, nine. Nine postseason. He's 0 nine in the postseason. Oh and nine. That's between the Blue Jays, the, the, the Tigers, the, uh, the Rays, Red Sox now. I forgot he was on the Tigers in, in that. Uh, yeah, right. But not even that. Like, look at Rick Porcello, right? Rick Porcello, who everyone was like, oh, my God, he's like 
unbeatable. He has like 22 wins. He's going to win the Cy Young. It's uh, lit up in four, in three, four innings. Well, that that's that's why the win stat is a little it's bit misleading. misleading. Yeah, he does have 22 wins, and he had a very good season. I'm not going to give him any. Um, oh yeah. Any disrespect as far as that goes, but let's be honest, he's he's not the Cy Young Award winner. An ERA of three fifteen, and it's I mean, if you compare him to if, Tanaka has better stats. Yeah, let's compare him to Tanaka, who also isn't going to win the Cy Young, but has better numbers yeah. than a guy that many are thinking should win the Cy Young. Right. Rick Porcello is not the best pitcher in the American League this season, and we we all found out why last night. <laughs> but yeah, the Red Sox are in some serious trouble. I mean, that the pitching has been a, a question mark all season. We know that. Primarily their bullpen. Their bullpen hasn't even had a chance to blow the right. series yet. But, this but their offense down. was supposed to be their saving grace. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Big Poppy in the past two series, in the past two games right now, is doesn't have a hit yet. Yeah, he doesn't. And you know what? Give Terry Francona a lot of credit Harry. for managing his bullpen in game one, bringing in Andrew Miller to face the uh, the heart of the order in the fifth inning of a playoff oh, game, and this is this is a guy who is closing games out for the Yankees, you know, earlier this season, and it's funny because I was watching, I was watching a Blue Jays, uh, sorry, a, uh, an Indians game, I think it was in August, and again the sixth inning, this is when they were playing the Twins. Uh, not even a really, you know, dangerous team. But right. one run game, sixth inning, tight spot, and he goes to his one of his best relievers. And it worked then. Did this, a similar thing last night in the fifth inning. Uses him for two innings and then pieces it together the rest of the way. And a lot of people after the game, all the, the pundits are saying... Oh, but did he mismanage his bullpen for the rest of the season? No, because tonight, Corey Kluber goes out, gives him six or seven solid innings right. on the mound. and You know, I really hate when, when people say that. Like, people are questioning Buck Showalter and his decisions with, like, the close. And, like, granted, it, it's making all of us scratch our heads, but, like, these managers know what they're doing. Mm. You know, there's, there's going to be probabilities – to each move you make. Should I keep this guy in? Should I pull him out? Like, so many people were saying you we should have left Syndergaard to keep pitching. He, he didn't look bad, right? And, right. you know, it's just... See, when, when a manager makes a move, if it works out, he's a genius. If it doesn't work out, he's going to be crucified. Like The the thing I have with, with the Showalter thing and him not bringing in Zach Britton in that game is... One, he's on the road. And right. so if you give up a run, your season's over. And two, your other option is, <laughs> is 
is uh, Ubaldo Jimenez. He wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't exactly Noah Syndergaard. Or, yeah. Uh, the last time Ubaldo Jimenez was effective was uh, six years ago, and um, and he he's your best pitcher, and it's I I would have had I would have had no problem if he had used Zach Britton and like the ninth and 10th inning, or even just for one inning, just to like, you know, have your best pitcher give your your team a chance to have another um, at-bat in the top of the next inning. Right. To not use them, it's sort of like, it, it's, you have a bullet left in your gun and you're just not going to shoot. I mean. Right. I, I see what you're saying. But yeah, it, and I get, I get it that managers, if it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, you know, you're going to be second-guessed no matter right. what. Right. Everyone's, everyone's got something to say at that point. Right. But I think, I think a lot less people are wondering, you know, why wasn't Syndergaard out there for another inning than there were, right. you know, why wasn't Zach Britton out there. It's, I think it all has to do with the situation and – of each particular right. game because you don't want to always manage you know a set certain way you should always keep uh, a mind out to your uh to what situation you're in and i Very think true. after you've already gone through your best setup man uh, against toronto and you have the heart of the order coming up in an inning, if I want to extend this game another inning, I shouldn't bring in Ubaldo Jimenez. Right. Yeah, no, you're abs- you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. Four, four Buck. <laughs> you know, I, I feel bad because Buck Showalter has never won uh, a World Series, and um, he's obviously been almost in the mix. We know he brought up the Yankees and he brought up the Diamondbacks a couple years afterwards and then the first year he left each of those jobs they ended up winning it all. Um, But but decisions like that just uh, I don't they they just confuse me. I think that's what uh, Mike and Mike one of the guys they had on the line was saying, "I'm I'm just like really confused. I, I don't understand. Yeah, who was? Which that that I I understand that. So yeah, it's uh it's been a fun week for baseball. Um, two really good wild card games. That uh, one went into extra innings. One was uh, a scoreless tie into the ninth inning. Um. So it's been great for baseball. Um, however, it has not been so great for football, particularly if you're a fan of the local New York teams. I... I'm sorry, but we have to talk about it. No, we absolutely do. I have, I have, I have things to say. <laughs> I know. 
This is going to be great. Um, so obviously the Giants debacle in Minnesota on Monday night. Um, not a whole lot of positive things to say. Go Chan. I'm just going to let it let you take it away and your reaction to that miserable, miserable game. I want to preface what I'm about to say with the following. I had very low expectations to begin with when it came to this game. The, the, the primary reason was this Minnesota defense is as good as the Panthers defense was last year. And I, to be quite honest, I think it's better. I think it's a lot better, too. I think it's the... The Vikings, yeah. The Vikings defense... The, the Carolina defense was great because their, fr their, their front was incredible. You had the best linebacker duo in the league, and that led to easy interceptions. For a secondary, that is... It was good, but I wouldn't say it was, like, elite. Mm -hmm. The Vikings front seven is scary. And their secondary is no joke either. So going into this game, I was fully prepared that this was more than likely not going to end well for the New York Giants. However, I'm a little upset because I felt that it wasn't going to go well for reasons other than football. <laughs> the New York Giants on paper are significantly better than they were last season. You can't tell me by the addition of Victor Cruz, by the addition of Sterling Shepard, the disappearance and good riddance, for that matter, of Ruben Randall and Preston Parker, that this team is not better offensively. And yet somehow we haven't seen we haven't seen them clicking. And, and the re that's why I pretty much said I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the Vikings are going to win because not only is their defense scary, but the Giants' offense is just not good right now. That's, that's, that's the first thing there. The second thing is, again, for the second game in a row, the Giants were one of the least penalized teams in the first two games. They managed over 100 yards in penalties against the Redskins and 69 yards in penalties against the Vikings. How? Why? Well, one of them, one of them against the Vikings was a dad. I I can't use the appropriate word here for the. Oh, we'll the we'll flag we'll 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 be discussing that. Don't that was, don't you worry. That was some uh. That was some shenanigans there. But I mean, you know, looking at everything, the Vikings won the game in every aspect. Oh, yeah. They had. 366 total yards to the Giants, 339. They owned time of possession, 35 minutes to 25. They got two turnovers, and they had more first downs. You know, uh, it, it really just was it, was, it was a disgusting game for the Giants all around. It was disgusting because, yes, they played terrible, but they also just played not up to their ability. And before I get into Odell Beckham, your your thoughts on on the game? Um, I thought I thought it was bad all the way around. Um, 
But I, I kind of knew offensively it was going to be a struggle for the Giants because one, Minnesota, one, has a really good defense. Two, is at home. Three, always seems to do well against Eli Manning. Oh, so, man. That ain't, ain't that the truth? Uh, Eli Shit. Manning has thrown more touchdowns, or sorry, as many touchdowns to the Vikings defense in his career as he has thrown yeah. to yeah. giant wide receivers against the Vikings. So that, for one, uh, is a little bit of a problem. Um, so I, I always thought that if the Giants ended up winning this game, it was going to be some, like, ugly 13-10 to 10 score. Right, um, right. You know, where they ran the ball effectively and came up with a, a couple of stops on defense and right. Shh, shh, right. don't tell anyone this, but managed to turn the ball over, which would oh. be a novel concept. What are what are what what are turnovers? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe you guys need to play against Ryan Fitzpatrick for a game. Um, it's uh, I think your main problem, or the Giants' main problem, I should say, is this defense because it is it lacks a cutting edge, you know, a real fearsomeness about them you know one that's going to either hit you hard or force you to turn the ball over or hit you they're so hard identity. that the ball pops they're, they're off identity. yeah I don't even think it's it's a lack of identity it's just there's just a sort of blase attitude with right. the defense where I will say this though when it comes bad, to defense but they're not horrible they just yeah. They just don't do anything. They'll stop you occasionally. Other times, they'll give up a, a big drive. There's just, they're average. They're boring. They're not terrible, but they're, they're not good. All, all correct things. Um, the one thing I do want to say about the defense, though, is I think bringing back Steve Spagnuolo was a mistake. Yeah, I, th um, I think so, too. A massive mistake. And for a number of reasons, one, there was a reason they let him go after the Super Bowl. There's a reason he has not held a job in St. Louis, in New Orleans, in Baltimore. Justin, just out of curiosity, do you know how many snaps Jason Pierre-Paul and Olivier Vernon have played in the first four games combined? Um, oh, you texted this to our group chat a couple of days ago. Jason Pierre-Paul has played all but two. Oh, my God. Olivier Vernon all but four, I think, or maybe the number's a little bit low, but it's in it's in the region of they're not going to survive to Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. And to me, it's very confusing because they have a bunch of young pass rushing talent I want to see on the field. They have a young guy in um in Romeo Aquara from Notre Dame who was a uh, un un undrafted um undrafted rookie and he showed promise uh you have Kerry Wynn you have Devon Kennard you have a bunch of players who can make plays for you but Spags is staying with those four guys and I I, I get it Jason Pierre-Paul 
Olivia Vernon, they are your best pass rushers. I get it 100%. You're going to run them into the ground. As, as for the turnovers, I will say this. I think... I think the Giants had a good, at least within the secondary, a good defensive identity in the first two games, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. those receivers did not, did not, they, they didn't give them anything. Right. So the secondary, when it's healthy, has the idea of, we're not going to give you anything longer than like five yards. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm totally fine with that. But... Against Minnesota, there was no Eli Apple, who the rookie has shown he can play. There was no DRC, established veteran. Mm-hmm. There was no Darian Thompson. There was no free safety. Our backup free safety is in the concussion protocol. Who was playing in the secondary, you might ask? Well, Andrew Adams, who was the rookie, who was the reason for the unsportsmanlike against Washington on the blocked punt. That is one secondary member. The other one is none other than Trevin Wade. Trevin Wade is awful. (laughs) Trevin Wade is not a good cornerback. Trevin Wade can only cover in the slot. And that's it. Where do they put Trevin Wade? On the outside. What happened? He got burnt every time. So I, I do think that the defense has woes. They absolutely do. I think the woes are more Steve Spagnolo's fault than they are the actual defense's fault. I would agree. Defense has talent. The, yep. the coaching has been very suspect for the Giants so far. All, all around. Yeah, all around. and not, not just Spagnolo, but um, McAdoo has... And look, he's four games into his career, so you don't obviously expect him... To you know, take the reins and right. then just right. be perfect. You knew it was going to be a little bit of a learning process, but you know, for how talented this team is, you know, maybe it's a learning process that they're not the the team has exceeded the coaching staff. Yeah, I agree. I it, agree. You know, the the coaching staff. I'm I'm very happy that they they brought back McAdoo. I, mm-hmm. I I really am. That 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 side I'm I'm very happy with. Um, offensive coordinator Mike Sullivan and defensive coordinator she says Molo. I'm I'm very very confused with. Um, like I understand I I understand that you want to establish balance in the offense. I really do. I. You know, if you can establish a good run game, it just opens up incredible things in the pass game, and then yes. vice versa. I understand that, but you are not going to win games. The Giants are not going to win games if they have the same number of pass and run plays. It's not going to happen. Agreed. They're not going to win games if the ball is not thrown to Odell, Sterling Shepard, or Victor Cruz. Those guys need to get the ball more often. There's just there's that's 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 it. That's it. Um and I guess we'll just talk about go getting into Odell now. Um yeah. do you realize that Odell has not been targeted till the midway to the second quarter in almost all the games now? I have he's got like 
it was it's in the single digits how many times he's been targeted. I think in either the first half or the first quarter. Um, and to me, I, I don't understand. I don't I understand. I don't understand either. He is your best player. He uh, all all respect to Eli Manning. He's a great quarterback. Odell Beckham is the most talented player on this football team. You have to get involved early on because he is so good. And you can tell just in the way his attitude is on the sideline, on the field, in the media, on practice days, you know, when he's not involved. I don't want to say he gets offended by it, but he's a guy who you... For reasons other than his ego alone, you need to give him the ball because he. Oh no question. He he's too talented. I think I was Mike and Mike. They, they brought in someone, a receiver in the NFL a while ago. I can't remember the name now, but he put it perfectly. He said, "As a receiver, as a receiver, the game has not started for me." Until and he didn't say a catch, he said until I get tackled. Hmm. He said if I don't get hit, I'm not go- I'm not like warmed up. I'm not like loose. I don't feel the game has started. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that's a very interesting idea. And he kept going. He was like, I've told my coaches before, I am not the type of person where you could ignore me for three quarters and expect me to make a game-saving play in, in, like, the third quarter. Right. Get me involved. I, I'm not asking for you to, like, throw me a touchdown pass every quarter. No, I'm just saying let me catch the ball yeah. in the spot or outside. Let me get hit. Let me get involved early. Simple Let me just get pass. warmed up. And I was like, I like that idea. And I, I do think I do think it's going to happen against Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, that's... McAdoo, McAdoo and, and Sullivan have finally said something useful in their post game interviews. That was like, you know, McAdoo said, I have to do a better job. I have to get him involved early. I think he's finally realized that, OK, my whole let's just do balance, 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 balance is not working. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. When you, when you play against um, the Saints and the Cowboys, two rather average teams. I don't know if you could even call the Cowboys average anymore. They're 3-1. and one. Um, But average deep, I know it, it pains me too to say that. Um, but y- you talk about this balance, and it, it did work against those two teams. I mean, if they didn't fumble or drop uh, chances against New Orleans... Right. That game would have been a blowout. Um, and, and again, in that Washington game, they you know, they got a sizable lead early on, didn't really put their foot on their throat, and Washington ends up coming back. You have to be relentless. This offense is so talented, um, not just with the quarterback now, but finally, everywhere you look on the offensive side of the ball, even without Shane Vereen in the game, you still have three very good, one oh, one great, one very good, and one very promising rookie out there every play. So I think, I mean, you know, like you said, there, there were not many positives from the game against the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Not many at all. 
there were there were two that I saw. The first is the offensive line. Yeah. I cannot stress how good this offensive line has been when every fan has had the offensive line as an issue going into the season. Eli did not get sacked by Minnesota. That's pretty good considering. I, Eli did not get Minnesota sacked Cam eight times. They sacked Aaron Rodgers, I think, four times. Mm-hmm. Eli Manning is the least mobile out of those people. <laughs> And he did not get sacked once. I applaud the offensive line of that game. The other the other plus I saw, well, kind of back to the offensive line, Bobby Hart. Bobby Hart is a seventh-round pick from Florida State. And when everybody heard that Marshall Newhouse was going to start in right tackle, everyone just threw their hands up because you knew Eli was going to probably get knocked in his teeth from the strong side. Marshall Newhouse goes down, and this second-year player comes in and does an amazing job. I am very, very, very happy with Bobby Hart especially. The third positive, and then that's about it, this rushing attack. Orleans Darkwa, Bobby Rainey, and Paul Perkins Bobby Rainey. were incredible against a Minnesota defense. Yeah. That, that, to me, has shown that, you know what, Vereen and Jennings, are the established NFL guys? Absolutely. Established NFL vets? Absolutely. Know the game? Absolutely. They played the majority of the first three games. They've accumulated about 250 yards together. Uh, Paul Perkins, Bobby Rainey, and Elise Darko in that one game against Minnesota are ready at about... 150. They. Those those three, I think. I think you have to stick with those three. You know, the, the rushing attack is just better with those three. Paul Perkins, is, Paul Perkins had that, what, 60 yeah. yard play. He's fast. <laughs> Fifth round pick from UCLA. He's fast. Yeah, that, there's another guy who I. He, if you throw him like a quick screen pass out and he gets some blockers, that guy is gone. That that's another option they have to he's, use. He's okay, so now we have to talk about it. Something I don't want to talk about because the media has hammered this to death, but wouldn't wouldn't that make us the media yet? Or does uh, wouldn't. do do so do so few people listen to us that we haven't become the media yet? <laughs> Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. Not having fun. Selected, I believe, 12th overall in the first round by the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. Turns out to be arguably the best receiver in that class. Yep. Uh, and I, I think you can say the, the best, best receiver player. because, you know, Mike Evans has drop issues. Sammy Watkins cannot stay healthy. Um. Jordan Matthews is a great receiver, but just not the type of guy you can, hey, I'm going to toss it up, go get it. Odell Beckham Jr. is an incredible talent and might be the best receiver Eli Manning has ever played with. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are saying, oh, you have a Monty Toomer there and you had Victor Cruz back in the day. I'm like, hey, yeah, those guys are incredibly talented. Day. But I have never seen someone be able to excel at all facets of a receiver as Odell Beckham can. Mm. The catches, 
the yards after the catch, the route running. It is, it's incredible. What I think people need to understand here is that Odell Beckham is a third-year player. And this is the first time he has faced adversity in the NFL. I am not protecting Odell Beckham from yelling at refs mid-game on the field. I'm not at all. Yeah. There is no excuse to get in the face of a referee. There's, there's, there's none. The minute you do that, I don't care if you're right or you're wrong, it's going to be a penalty and you're hurting your team. But the things on the sidelines, people, give it a rest. He's not hurting a single person screaming on the sidelines. You know, Eli went over to talk to him and then he was fine. Um, the coach went over to talk to him, then he was fine. Odell Beckham's an emotional player. Has he brought on the ref's scrutiny because of his actions? Absolutely. Absolutely. With what happened with Josh Norman in the Panthers game, he opened the door to all of this. Right. We we talked about this uh, a little bit during the week about, you know, how much are the refs going at him? Yeah, is it really justified after just really one really bad incident? It was a bad incident, and it was an embarrassment. But it, in fairness, it was one game. It was one game um, where he he just lost it, and he snapped. And he's young. He, he, as you said, he's a young player who was going through a very emotional matchup that day against Josh Norman. He snapped. He lost it, and... Um, I think he 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 knew it uh, afterwards. Um, I do think it's it, it's getting a bit unfair because I I it so is. against against the Redskins, you know there were I, I was you know against the Redskins the Giants lost that game on their own right there, there right. was no like ref interference with that one. All the calls I thought were very fair on both sides, but then this minute this Minnesota game is very confusing to me. Odell Beckham. Okay, not involved for a while, but mm -hmm. when he's thrown to Xavier Rhodes, who, giving credit here, Xavier Rhodes did, did an incredible job locking him down for the most part. Odell Beckham is clearly out of bounds. Yeah. Both of his feet are in that wide, thick line. <laughs> and Xavier Rhodes just shoulder checks him into the Vikings bench. Nothing. Not a single flag. Odell talks to the refs next to him. And I guess talking is an understatement. He was he was a little bit livid. Yeah, as he probably should have been. But those refs don't throw a flag, but the ref thirty yards away throws a flag. Yeah, and not on not on the guy that that hit Beckham out of bounds, but against no, Beckham, on Beckham for yelling. It's you know that game. I can completely understand him being frustrated. It was it was it it was a bad call. It was a bad call, uh, from when I watched it, and then when I found out that the ref, half the field away, was the one that called a penalty. It was like what, what, what do, you, what? How can you even hear what he's saying exactly, from thirty right? yards away? I'm very happy that the NFL has has come out and said they want the refs to be more conscious of if defensive backs are 
trying to get reactions out of Beckham. Mm -hmm. And, you know, get reactions is one thing. Like, I I think if if someone is mouthing off when you're facing them on the field, like, sure, like, that's totally legal, whatever. I think, like, the hit by Xavier Rhodes, that that should have been called. Um, And, you know, this this is the first time where Beckham is now... Has, has a challenge. Yeah. And he has to rise above that challenge. But I, I, I think he will. Throughout this past week, he's been ripped apart. He's been ripped apart by Stephen A. Smith, by Skip Bayless, by Max Kellerman, Mike Francesa. Uh, all, any, any talk show host, any analyst has had something to say about Odell Beckham. Professional Herb people Edwards called him an emotional mess, I believe, or something to that effect. Odell has had to hear it from everyone, the media, his coaches. Uh, I, I just want to interrupt you uh, really quickly. Breaking sure. news, the Nationals lose game one of their division series against the Dodgers, um, <laughs> which means it's time to text our friend Brian and uh, oh, see if he's drunk yet. <laughs> uh, but no, go, go back to what you are saying about Odell and and yeah, it's definitely. I think, a, a, I think he's hit rock bottom. Yeah, I think I think everything got to him where it was Eli. You know, Eli Manning, as we've known Eli Manning since he was quote drafted by the Chargers end quote to being now has never been outspoken about anything. Mm-hmm. Eli could lead the league in interceptions. You know, Ruben Randall, how many drops did he have? Preston Parker, how many did he have? Eli never said a word about any of them. In the media, for the first time I've ever heard, Eli called out Beckham. He said he has to play smarter because he brought this on himself pretty much, but he has to play smarter. And I think that, coupled with what the coaches are saying, what Reese you know, J- Jerry Reese had a talk with him in the Minnesota locker room after after the game. I think it finally got to Beckham that, listen, like, it's one thing to be passionate, but you are hurting the team. Your catch would have been a first down. We were getting momentum. Your outburst made it 15 yards back and repeat the down. Yeah. You know, Odell Beckham finally came out and he said, I, I have to be better. I'm setting a bad example. I have to be better. And you know what? This was a big week for the Giants because all the Giants came out and all seemed to have this, we have to do better. McAdoo, I have to be a better coach, have to get him more involved. Odell, I have to be a better player. I think it's I think it's going to change. I, I think Odell is going to work on containing his negative emotions, right? Like, it's the NFL. There's only four refs, I believe, right? Um. One head ref two line judges and then a random person in the back? I think there's more than four. Usually usually there should be about six or seven. I should know this. Usually, I know in a high school game, there's usually about six or seven. Let's see. Anyway, what what I'm trying to get at with this is seven. You're right, seven. So there are seven officials, and you know what? Things are going to get missed you know mm-hmm. people are going to try to take cheap shots on you people are going to get under your skin 
after the whistle's blown, if no one's looking, they're going to knock you down. They're going to throw you, they're going to push you away to get you to get rattled. And you know what? I, I, I do agree with what Mike Sullivan said, believe it or not. I, it was very, very intense. Did you see what it was this morning? Uh, no, what was it? So Mike Sullivan, when, when asked about the defensive backs on Odell Beckham with all their antics, Mike Sullivan said, the reason defensive backs do that is because they're not good. <laughs> they are not confident in their abilities to cover Odell. So they try to get thrown off their game. And, you know, truth be told, it, is it? here's the thing. Is it a legitimate tactic, a legitimate strategy? Of course it is. But a small part of me does think that, you know, these guys do this to make Odell not Odell. And that way they, they look so much better. Like, think about Josh Norman last year against the Panthers, right? He got in his head. And Odell was known for not having a good game. Right. Odell kept his cool against Norman this year. Odell had 130 yards on Norman. 80 of them came in the fourth quarter within like five minutes. Odell showed them that Norman can't cover me. I think, you know, I really don't want to have to wait till next season. Like we had to wait from last season. But if Odell can treat other defensive backs like he treats Josh Norman now, where doesn't bother me, I'm not listening to you, whatever, then Odell wins. Odell wins, this all goes away, and the Giants will sail to victory. I, I agree. Let's, let's also face it. Um, hold on, just uh, lower your volume a little bit, please. Yeah. Thanks. Let's uh, let's also face it. If the Giants had won, even the Washington game, and we're three and one right now, this wouldn't even be an issue. I don't think. Um, it, I I really just think Odell's attitude is just, or the big deal about Odell's attitude is just that they're losing. They're losing. Yeah, when and they're losing not because he's dropping catches, but they're losing because their defense um, Ryan Clark put it perfectly. Golan put it perfectly. Winning changes everything. Yeah. If this team is 3-1, and one, no one gives a damn about what Odell Beckham is doing on the sideline. Or if he had picked up a 15-yard penalty, they would have said, oh, Giants are 3-1 and one now after they lost to the Vikings who are a really good team, and proved it by beating another really good team. And now we're going to move on. Yep, yeah. You're absolutely right. And, um, it's, it, that, that's why I think mo much of this... Friendly little chime from the computer. Um, much of this stuff about Odell Beckham Jr. is just... It's, it's, it's just filler material. It, it's... I mean, it's not why the team's winning. It's not why the team's losing. I mean... Right. No, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Get this defense to play better. That's what everyone should be talking about. I mean, don't care. I, I really don't care what Odell Beckham Jr. Right. does after he gets shoved out of bounds. You know, it's... 
it might be it's something to nitpick at, but I mean, is it as much of a factor why they're winning and losing as much as their defense playing like garbage or their offensive line not having a good start to the season until Monday night? No, it it it's it makes no sense to me. No, you're absolutely right. And I was telling people this before the unfortunate thing about Odell being in the spotlight is that. Everyone is saying, oh, well, Odell has having outbursts. It's why the Giants are losing. No. You just said it. The defense is, is terrible. Yeah. The, um, and on top of that, let's not, you know, I love Eli to death. Let's not be quick to, to christen Eli here as not being at fault anywhere. He has four touchdowns, only four touchdowns for the year, and he has four interceptions already. Mm. You know, that's not good. Yeah. The coaching and the play calling, very suspect. Yes. Again, take out Minnesota. Why were the Saints not blown out of that game? Uh, I don't With know. With the Redskins, how many three and outs were there when they really shouldn't have been? Mm-hmm. D'Angelo Hall went down. Um, Brashad Breland went down. You should not be going three and out against the Redskins when they're missing a starting safety and starting corner. How about this? The Giants have played against a quarterback making his NFL debut in week one, um, Dak Prescott. Um, Juby's a competent quarterback. No one's going to argue with that. Um, but then uh, Cook Cousins, who, I mean, when the Giants were playing, the Redskins, they'll talk up to that week is this locker room going to mutiny against their quarterback? That's how bad the situation Washington was. And then Sam Bradford, who I think has finally found a good system in Minnesota, but still, it's Sam Bradford. You have to be able to do something against, you know, quarterbacks that aren't great. I'll be respectful. They're not great quarterbacks. They're professionals. They're going to give it an effort no matter what. But let's be honest. You overhaul your defense and you spend a quarter of a billion dollars doing. So you should be The quarterbacks are are, are not going to get any easier. We have Aaron Rodgers Sunday. We have Joe Flacco the week after. We have Case – if we don't do something to Case Keenum, I (laughs) I give up. Um, We have Carson Wentz. The, the Giants need to put a hurt on Carson Wentz. Yeah. Um, Andy Dalton, I, I have zero faith in Andy Dalton. Um, I'm not even sure who the Bears quarterback is or the Browns quarterback. The, the Giants <laughs> don't, don't the really face – you know what, I'll, quarterback is I'll keep Andy Dalton in there. But the Giants really don't face a quarterback I am scared of until Sunday, December 4, against the Steelers. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, before that, I, I'm – no one on that schedule is like, I think that guy is going to be able to beat the Giants' defense and win the game for them. No one on there does that for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go into uh, what is your prediction for Giants-Packers? Be honest. Um, I think the Giants get a victory here because I think they really need one. And um, this Green Bay defense is just... Not good at all. Uh, it's 
It's bad. They're also missing Sam Shields, and yeah. Clay Matthews hasn't practiced this week. And let's be honest, I, I really do think this was a giant wake-up call. No pun intended, believe it or not. A giant wake-up hey! call. Hour <laughs> <laughs> and 15 minutes, we finally get to our first pun. Um, I really think that this past week was a wake-up call for everyone in the organization, from the head coach to the quarterback to the wide receivers, to the defense, you know, it's week five, and as you said, schedule ain't getting easier, and the NFC East, somehow, somehow, it seems like every team is competent this season, which <laughs> we definitely weren't talking about the NFC East, you know, having anyone really, you know, running away with the division. Uh, we we probably would have guessed most of the division to finish at 500, or maybe a little bit under 500. But oh, now, yeah, you, you got uh, the Giants at 2-2. Two and two. The uh, Redskins are 2-2. Two and two. Two and two. The Cowboys, Cowboys are 3-1, three and, three and, one. One, and the Eagles are 3 no. Yeah, you, you got, you have a lot um, more competitive division than you thought you were going to have. Um, oh, yeah. So you, you got to start winning games somewhere. I mean, I know Packers at home at Lambeau Field, they're always going to put up a fight, as you expect. They have Aaron Rodgers. It's not going to be easy, um, especially if this defense doesn't shape up. But I think the Giants win a pretty high-scoring game. I'll say they win it 35-27. I, um, I share most, if not all, of your sentiments with that. Um, I agree in that the Giants are in a very they're, – they're in a spot of they're, – they're in a, a spot of desperation now. Yeah. Um, if, 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 if they lose this game – they run the. They, they're going to go two and three, mm-hmm. and they're going to go two and three when, you know. Granted, the rest of the NFC East is finally going to see some harder games, but like you said, the the, the conference is actually looking very competitive, and we need to um, we need to shape up there. The reason I think they're going to win is the offensive line in Green Bay is is not the best. Eddie Lacy is still fat. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers just just hasn't looked like Aaron Rodgers yet. Yeah. And I'm hoping that the Which, the bye week has developed a little more rust still. That that scares me a little bit that Aaron Rodgers hasn't been Aaron Rodgers because he hasn't been bad. He just no, hasn't, no, absolutely not. Yeah, he just hasn't been great. And right. That's what scares me. He, uh, it's sort of like he's due to he's. Do to light it up. And right. I just hope it doesn't manifest itself on Sunday night. We really hope not. <laughs> yeah, I um I sense a similar high scoring game. Um primarily because I think that for two reasons. One, I don't think this this is not the game for the defense to start getting turnovers. 
right? It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be very hard to intercept Aaron Rodgers and even get a fumble anywhere. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think I think something like 30, 31, 31, 28, 31, 28. Yeah. You know, I think it'll, it'll be within one score. It should be a close game. Um, yeah, it's probably the, uh, I would say it's the best game of the week, to be honest. Um, Texans-Vikings might be good, but Texans have been kind of bad recently. Um, let's get I'm Vikings. personally excited for uh, Cleveland-New England. That's what I want to see. God. <laughs> you know, nothing. The Jets could lose for the rest of the season. But if Tom Brady goes out and loses to the Cleveland Browns on Sunday afternoon, it will make my entire year. That would be the funniest thing ever because living in Boston, I can tell you right now, <laughs> there's going to be a about 50% of Pats fans, because they're all bandwagon fans anyway, 50% of them are going to start calling for Garoppolo to take over. <laughs> and I am going to die because it would be the funniest thing ever. It really would be. <laughs> um, let's be honest, though. They're probably going to win by at least 20 Although, I, I mean, I think uh, recently Brady versus the Browns has not been as one-sided as you think that matchup would be. No, you're right. The Browns have, like, you know, kept it like kept it in there with Tom Brady. Yeah. Uh, the last time they played, I think I saw, was 2013. And the Browns actually had the lead going into the final two minutes um, before Tom Brady said, nah, I got this, and ended up winning. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they, they lost in the most Cleveland way possible. <laughs> That's true. I'm not sure how they lost, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume it was in the most Cleveland way possible. But hey, at least they got a winning baseball team at last, and a basketball team. Let's talk about the Jets a little bit. Um, even though they're, they're going to Pittsburgh this week and they, they might get, they might get killed the way this offense is played (laughs) and the way this defense, which is supposed to be the backbone of this team has played, um, over the past uh, two weeks or so, it's been embarrassing. It's been unpleasant to watch. And um, they're going up against one of the best teams in football, I think, the Steelers, one of the best wide receivers in football, and Antonio Brown against the secondary that might not have Darrell Rivas' game-time decision um, without Decker for uh, who knows how long. Quincy Inunua, uh questionable for the game. <clears throat> Uh, everything, yeah, you know, it's not everything it, it about this look game. The best on paper. Everything about this game screams, "Don't watch it. Just turn away." 
I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with you there. Um, the Patriots, Patriots, I'm sorry, the Steelers are an incredibly high-powered offense. Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, even Le'Veon Bell, because they, they, they've played sets where they'll line up Le'Veon in the slot and bring in D'Angelo Williams. I, it's, they are a very good team, and Ben is one of the hardest quarterbacks to sack. He's he's built like an offensive lineman. He moves like a quarterback. It's um but that being said, you know, like any New York team, whether it's the Bills or the Giants or the Jets, somehow, beyond all rhyme or reason, when we're counted out in every way possible, we somehow make it a fight. Who knows? Maybe Fitzpatrick finds his form and because the Steelers' defense is not that great. Brandon Marshall could have a day. He could. Matt Forte showed that he can still run the ball. Um, I also predict for this game that it will it'll be a um, a high scoring game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the Jets the Jets defense, even if it's healthy. I'm sorry, even if it's healthy, yeah, they're, they're it, not. They wouldn't be able to stop. It's been a bad defense. Um, the the Steelers. Yeah. But the Steelers' defense, I don't think is great. Either way, so I, I see a similar score between um, between the Steelers and the the Jets. It's it's unfortunate because I think the Jets and the Giants are almost in identical positions, but in the NFC East, it looks so much more competitive that we're still in it. It's unfortunate in the AFC East. Where if you're one and three, you have to deal with three and one Patriots, two and two Buffalo. Yeah, and it's just like it's already like you know you've you've you the Jets have put themselves in a position that's very hard to deal with already. Yeah, and especially you know you talk about the division. I think every Jets Jets fan really just concedes the division at the beginning concedes of the season. Concedes the division <laughs> because the Patriots are in it and. They're never going to supplant the Patriots for the division until Brady and Belichick retire. Um, but, you know, the teams fighting for the wild card spots, you know, they already have an advantage over the Jets. And it's if they fall to one and four on the season, which they very well could. Um, it would be pretty much over already. I, I, yeah, there's. They haven't even played New England yet, which. Although never say never because the Chiefs were down one and five and won ten in a row or whatever it was. Yeah, that's true. that. Yeah, stuff like that doesn't happen to the Jets, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's the Jets. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe they're due. Maybe they're due. <laughs> they've been, they've been. I I've been saying that every year since I was eight, and it's gotten me nowhere. You know, Cirillo, just just for you, just for you. I'm going to pick the Jets to win this game. Oh, boy, you really shouldn't. I'm going to because, one, I am your friend and I support you, and, two, in my big money fantasy league, I have Brandon Marshall started. Well, okay. So, <laughs> um, Purely I for financial reasons. Jets. I think, I think it's going to be a, a high-scoring game. I think Jets 38. Steelers... 
<laughs> they must have put up 38 points against the Steelers. I think they will. I think they will. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, is, is it in Pittsburgh? It is in Pittsburgh. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's strange. Both New York teams are on the road this week. Both? What about Buffalo? They're, they have their bye week. Do they really? Yeah. Oh, boy. Could be a rough week for uh, for the Jets. But... Um, they thrive in adversity. Yeah, usually by throwing the ball away to the other receipt, the other defense. Anyway, that's going to do it for this show. I know you've got to uh, run out. We're approaching our time limit anyway. So again, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been the Sports Squadcast. I'm Justin Cerullo. Matt Gochan joined me tonight. Gochan, any last words? Anything you're looking forward to over the, over the sports weekend as you pose in your uh, Boston apartment? Just the, a word to all New York fans. You know, the Mets didn't do great. The Giants are losing. The Jets are losing. Just remember one thing. New York teams have always thrived in adversity. We've stared down the battle of the gun and we somehow make it out alive. Just chin up, everyone. It'll, it'll get better or it'll be really entertaining. Or hockey starts next week. Or hockey starts next week. <laughs> What's the Rangers' PDL? <laughs> Let's hope it's sustainable. Unsustainable. Let's, <laughs> it's always unsustainable. <laughs> All right. Go, Chen. Best regards. See you again Justin, next week. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. This has been the Sports Squadcast. You can follow us at Twitter, at Squad Sports. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Justin Surlo. And you can follow Go, Chen, at Yat, with two Ts, Gochan. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in. You can find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>